U.S. Arab Radio Network presents Season 3 of the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News, the leading English-language newspaper in the Middle East. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist Ray Hanania explores issues facing Arab Americans on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and on WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. And now, your host, Ray Hanania. Watch the show live on Arab News Facebook page. Welcome to the Ray Hanania Radio Show. I am Ray Hanania. It is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023, and this is Season 3, Episode 12. We're brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region. Arab News at ArabNews.com is an award-winning newspaper covering the Middle East with bureaus in Paris, London, Islamabad, Tokyo, and coverage in the United States where I am the U.S. Special Correspondent. Our radio show focuses on the Arab American community and issues and also on Middle East coverage from a U.S. perspective. We have two interesting interview segments today. First, we're going to speak with State Representative Cyril Nichols of the Illinois 32nd House District. Representative Nichols is African American and one third of his district, which stretches from Chicago to the Southwest suburbs and to the Arab community is Arab American. Representative Nichols believes that African Americans and Arab Americans are natural allies in the fight for justice, fairness, and against discrimination and racism. But he says that African Americans do far more for the Arab American community than the Arab American community does for African Americans. He wants to see that become more balanced. And he's taken a very positive approach to the uh, issue to encourage Arab Americans to be more considerate of African American issues and needs. And he has a plan to help get that started in the Chicagoland area. In segment two, we will speak with a scientist who turned author, Palestinian American Ramsey Hanhan, who discusses his new book, Fugitive Dreams, the story of a Palestinian who flees the conflict in his homeland and comes to America where he finds not only more conflict, but misunderstanding about the Palestinian cause and people. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we can speak with our guests, Illinois State Rep Cyril Nichols and Palestinian author Ramsey Hanhan. We will be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248 248- 
299-3937. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CDC guidelines and is open every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. My guest today is State Representative Cyril Nichols, a Democratic member of the Illinois House of Representatives representing the 32nd District, which runs from Chicago to the southwest suburbs and includes a large section of the Arab American and Muslim community, including in Bridgeview and the region. He was originally appointed to fill a vacancy in the House on April 8, 2021, but was then elected by voters to the seat in November 2022. Representative Nichols is running for re-election next year. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of Arab-American and African-American uh, relations. Welcome to the program, Representative Nichols. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And I think this is an important topic. I know that uh, we have uh, talked in the past about the relationship between Arab Americans and African Americans. It's very important. Um, in a way, though, I, and I'm Arab American, I might say that Arab Americans have probably gotten more from the African American community than the African American community has gotten from Arabs. So I want to kind of explore that. Um, obviously, African Americans are better organized. You got a bigger base, you got more votes, you got more uh, benefits. Uh, you're included in the census. Arabs are, Arab Americans are not as uh, organized, I think, as the African American community. So that may explain why there's this little imbalance. But when I spoke to you, I remember you said you thought that needs to be changed and addressed to benefit both sides. You know, just point out a few things that what have African Americans done for Arab Americans in 1983, the first black mayor of the city of Chicago, Mayor Harold Washington helped strengthen Arab American voices by creating the Arab Advisory Commission. And he placed several Arab Americans in city jobs. That was the first time that ever happened. In 1984, and then again in 88, Reverend Jesse L. Jackson gave Arab Americans a role in his candidacy for president. And it gave them an opportunity to impact the Democratic Party's national plank. They actually had a voice electing, I think, something like 88 or 90 delegates to the convention. And recently, Representative Nichols stood up to help Arab Americans, uh, introducing legislation to recognize the rights of Arab American business people, designating them as a minority community to qualify for minority business enterprise status, which means we get to get, as a community, a certain portion of contracts without having to compete with the big guys who've been doing this for I don't know how many decades. And uh, as we know, many Arab American businessmen um, have found the African American community to be more welcoming to them uh, than in white areas and other areas of the state. So you see a lot of Arab American businesses in the African American community. What do you think of all that, Cyril, before we get into some of the questions? When we work together, we can accomplish so many, so, so much 
in a shorter amount of time when we pull together. As you may or may not know, Ray, I think uh, upwards to about 70% of the gas stations in my district are owned by air. We are not in reinvesting, but the African-American community is investing by doing business in, in, in those areas where these, these um, gas stations or any other businesses for that matter. You know, in the African-American community, you know, we're inclusive, right? We allow anybody to open up. It could be a Chinese food restaurant. It could be, you know, the gas stations. It could be um, the cleaners. It could be, and, and oftentimes it's not African-Americans that own these businesses. Right. Now we just got to have a real conversation, right? Like, is what I'm saying true or what I'm saying false? So I can prove the, how many African-Americans own businesses and I can prove how many Arab Americans or Arabs own businesses in my right. district of 120 plus thousand people. There's no doubt that a lot of Arab American businesses are in the African-American community. Sometimes they're good relations. Sometimes they're problems. As we did a couple of years ago, we had some problems with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, shutting down like 50 Arab American businesses. Uh, but a lot of African Americans like you and others stood up and said, don't stereotype, don't stereotype blacks, don't stereotype Arabs. We need to stand up. So your voices helped end that practice. And I think the question today is, what are Arab Americans doing to help African Americans? And are they helping? I, I work very closely uh, with, with, with the with the Arab American community, right? Um, um, the the office that I'm in is is owned by a Palestinian. I'm renting from the Arab American community, right? Because the Arab American Business Chamber asked me to run legislation uh, recognizing them as a minority group, which is very important so that you can get access to contracts, right? I set aside $150,000 for for the Moss Foundation to help with the food pantry. But when you talk about education. We have to make sure that all of our, uh, our community colleges, and I still work at city colleges as well, are open and accessible to everybody. What, what do we all want, Ray? We want good schools, businesses, you know, a community without without being in the food desert, um, and and able somewhere able where we can all together as a community work with each other. If we don't practice the attitude of what we say is the American dream, then we're fraud. And 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 one we can't not have these conversations because if one community is oppressing another community, then we're we're actually probably practicing the the bad history of America, right? African Americans have suffered great racism over not just the years, but over several centuries here in the United States. And the Arab Americans have been experiencing their own racism, a lot of it before September 11th, but even more after September 11th, not from the African American community, but from other nope. communities. And yeah. I think one reason why African Americans and Arab Americans get together is they recognize each other being sometimes victims of racism and discrimination because of the way we look. Why is it so important, yeah. you think, to bring these two communities together uh, in a little more formal way than they are today? Well, actually, let's just look at it from a couple of different perspectives. From the, 
from a, a business perspective, it makes all the sense in the world because we need to learn how to recycle the dollar within our community. So in my district, the 32nd district, we need to be able to recycle the dollar in our district so that, that everybody inside of our district is actually benefiting from that dollar recycling themselves, be it um, uh, restaurants, gas stations, clothing stores, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, grocery stores, whatever it is, we are supporting each other. You you brought up the business side and about how we have to reinvest in the community. Do you think that Arab Americans reinvest in the communities where they work? Can they do better, do you think? Yes, and we all can do better. But But again, considering that in my district, there's not a lot of Black folk that own businesses. There's a lot of Arab Americans that own businesses, right? And when we know the crime that's currently residing around the world, but we'll just say right here in Chicago, right, Halos, Bedford Park, brought all the areas I that that I have in my district. You know, crime is everywhere, so we're not gonna play this little game. It's just in Chicago, right? It's everywhere, um, and and we could we can actually easily reinvest but but a reinvestment comes when communities working together do you get a good response when you talk to uh, arab and muslim uh, audiences about the need to do more or is that a message that isn't addressed enough i mean we talk so, about how we share problems how we share interests and things but do you think that there is a, a an honest conversation about is this a balanced relationship? Is it a that, that, fair great, give and take? That's a great question. When I speak at the day of prayer, which I think is one of the most powerful moments on the planet, when we had when we had Geek C Stadium, and and that place is full, every single time I spoke, the response because. Because so grammatically, I'm saying I, but I know when I'm speaking because other words come out, but I know when God is speaking through me. The response, because it's about love, because I'm talking about brother and sisterhood. I'm talking about coming together. The response is amazing. I've never left without feeling full spiritually. But when we're in our communities, because we don't, talk about it enough because we want to bring in cultural um, identifiers that are not our culture. It's just certain people that don't want us to work together, right? When we work together, there's nothing we can do. There's literally nothing we can do, right? Because th that is the way that that is the way a community prospers is when people work together. So yes, no, it's not enough conversations. We we should be meeting and convening weekly. We should be meeting and talking about community development. No, like we shouldn't even allow a community to, to have blight. You were trying to help a community in Jackson, Mississippi that was having a drought that they couldn't get water. So you reached and, out to the constituents here in Chicago, filled up three big trucks 18 wheelers of water brought them down there to help you got a lot of support from the community did the arab american community support you as much as you had hoped so 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 
when I went down to, to deliver the water, ironically, there's a large Arab American community in Jackson, Mississippi. So they benefited from the water you were bringing, not just African-Americans, right? Yes. And and again, you know, we were filling cars up though, right? We was like, because the, the FEMA was only giving two cases of water. And I was like, nah, move over. We're going to fill a car. Up. And you just know, for like, listeners, FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management Association, which is the federal agency that really should be stepping in and often does to help needy communities. I say, hey, listen, man. We need to do something. This is on national television, right? And we did. And we, you know, it was God working through all of us because every person that brought water, right? You know, you're bringing it to help other people. So guess where else we did it? We went, we went right down the street, you know, to Robbins. Needed water. Well, right. A suburb near here, near, in, near Chicago, not too far from us. They needed too water far. too. Again, you got you know, a big. What's the population, the Arab population in your district? You think about a third? Oh, uh, easy, easy a third, right? Yeah, easily uh, a third. Like you get the response you had hoped for. I mean, I'm sure you got some response, but was it the level that you had hoped for that you felt the Arab American community needed to step up to the plate to help you with? So, because I got a lot of friends as Arab such as yourself, right? there's always going to be a response. But one of the things that I said that I wanted to work on is creating, creating more of a working community together. Like I, I really believe that when we work together, we are such a powerful force that, because I don't speak truth to power. I just speak truth. You know, the truth and the fact of the matter is our communities should be getting a lot more. Right? Both our communities. Yeah, both communities should be getting a lot more. If we work together, we will. We will get a lot more. But we have to work together. We have to stop. Yeah, we have to stop some of these, 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 what do you call them? Petty independent, independent people who are interested in themselves. Yes, I know exactly yeah, what you're talking about. That's a great about. way to put it, right? Yeah. You know, it's like we 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 have to serve, we have to want to serve, and we have to stop going in the other room, right? So, yeah, is there is is there a black and Arab coalition? Of course, it is. It's ordained, but when other people go in the other room, who are they talking about? Right. So if black people go in another room and then, oh, well, we're not talking about the Arabs no more. If Arabs go in another room, oh, we're not talking about the blacks no more. Then, then you just really lie, right? Like, like you lie. But we live, we live with each other. We work with each other, right? We, 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 we hoping that each other support each other. Well, we can't, we cannot. The- you know, commit this fallacy where where you go on the other side of the, the room and I go on the other side. We act like we like each other, and then it, it nothing happens. Sense. We have to work with each other. We have to I, work with each other. I, let me press you a little bit. Let's measure. Let's do a grading system from a from one to ten. 
how strong are African Americans in terms of helping the Arab community, Arab Americans? If you had to rank it I, I would, from one to ten, man, I would go, I would go ten because we never say no. <laughs> you can open up a business, you can open up a shop. We never, we've never said we don't want you guys over here, right? Now turn. Now so turn. let's say nothing is perfect. Let's say nothing is perfect. Let's just go with a seven. So from the Arab American response to the African American community, how would you rank them from one to 10 in terms of I, I would support? Say, I would say honestly, I, I mean, I know you're honestly, not being critical. No, I'm not. And I'm not even being political. I, I would say it's a, it's an even, even five, right? If I drive down the heart of the Arab community, how many black businesses is it? Right. Very but few. if I drive down the heart of the black community, how many Arab businesses is it? Right. Lots like that's people. the truth. I ain't nothing that I'm making up and want somebody right. to be mad at me. It's just the truth. But isn't that also part of the racial nature of our society? Not so much Arabs and blacks, but Arabs seem Arab Americans tend to live in the white communities where we're often viewed as being black, and they tend to work in the black African American communities. So they're kind of like a conduit. But you're not seeing that moving from the black community into those white areas. That resistance, I um, think, though, comes from the white community more so than Arabs. But Arabs need right. to do more. You had an idea. I remember when we were talking, you said this is such an important topic that you were going to convene a meeting, a town hall, I think, to bring leaders of the Arab community and the African-American community together to figure out what do we need to do to make things better. Tell us a little bit about that. I, you know, one of the things that I said to my office, you know, I said, hey, listen, um, we really need to bring people and leadership together, be it principals, be, be it business owners, um, clergy. You know, we really need to come together, not to have a gripe session, because I don't do right. gripe sessions. That's not what I do. But to have a, a real honest discussion with a solution. So I don't want to just come and talk about nothing. I want to come with a solution and then develop legislation to support the solution that we came up with. Right. See, that's the difference. See, I'm a legislator. I'm not an alderman. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't give out, you know, city services. That ain't what I do. I'm a legislator. So we all came together and you said, Hey, it's real. You know, how about uh, what, what happened? Well, how about that that bill to recognize us as minorities so that we can have an opportunity to get some of these contracts? Well, I put that in legislation. I put it in the bill. Right. Put yep. it out there. It's filed. Anybody can call and talk about what they like and don't like. Right. Well, then another bill came up. Middle Eastern, North Africa. OK, well, listen, if that's what the community is supporting then so be it. This is what we have to start to focus on. Let's come together with purpose. Let's let's discuss education, business, clerk, whatever. Let's get topics. And then let's put legislation behind it so that now we have the law that supports the solution. We, we want to stop crime. Let both our communities come together and talk about, we want to talk about mental health. Let both our communities come together. We orchestrate a bill and say we want to talk about mental health support. 
How many mental health clinics are, are that was open that's closed that there we need a lot to of open issues. back up? Right. Because we got a mental health situation going on right now. We're not addressing it, right? But when our communities come together and formulate legislation, oh, we can, we can, we can make that happen, right? Because now you got to tell us why. Why won't you give African Americans and Arabs and Asians? Why wouldn't you give us a, a mental health clinic on the southwest side? And you're talking, you're asking, you the you're asking the yes. state of Illinois. You're asking the state of Illinois. The whole why don't general you do assembly. This? Right. I have a bill. I want to make sure that we get a, a mental health support to the southwest side of Chicago, to uh the 32nd district, you know, and beyond. We need a mental health facility. We got 12 closed hospitals and schools. We just need a, a, a facility. Now, we want to put more legislation together so that we can recruit and entice young people going to college to be mental health counselors, mental health supporters, right? And then we want to bring the health part into mental health, what we eat, what we put in our bodies that, that might make us mentally unstable, right? So we, we got a lot that we could put in legislation and say, if you believe a food desert is not a problem, if you believe not having a grocery store does not help the mental health situation going on, then there's something wrong with you. But again, out of 118 people, I need 60 to, to agree. In the right? legislature, 118 and, legislators, you need 60 of them to support you. Um I, I, and we only got a couple minutes left, but I want to ask you that town hall meeting. Is that something you're going to push for? You said, or oh um, yeah, are you, I'm you're gonna, in the process of organizing I, you know, it. Yes, I'm in the process of scheduling a date, um, and I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work with 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 different stakeholders to make sure, like you know, there's a lot of holidays out there. I don't want to. I don't want to do nothing on the wrong day, and everybody's right. like, "This is our day," right? So. I really would love to have something in October. If we if if we can convene a, the startup, right? And I want to make sure that we have that Arab American um uh when with with Harold Washington put together. I want to make sure we got that going back as right. well. Right. Because right? that's important. You know, I don't know why the advisory stopping, that's important. the advisory commission on Arab affairs. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and see what's interesting and is you're African-American and you're talking more about Arab-American issues sometimes than I hear Arab-Americans talk about. Now, there are a large number of African-Americans in the legislature. Uh, there's only one or two. There's only one Arab and two Muslims in the legislature. Um, it doesn't seem like Arabs have a strong voice unless they're part of you. If they caucus with you, if they join the African-American community, is the door to African-Americans open to the Arab American community to be part of that voice, the African American caucus, you think? Man, absolutely. Is it? Absolutely. Like, like we just want everybody to understand that like caucuses are set up for a reason, right? They want to support their communities because they feel like their voice is not being heard and they can get together as, as a, a stronger voice when you're working together. So I don't want anybody to think that you know that the 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 IOBC, the Illinois Black Caucus, somehow is not open. That ain't true, right? And in fact, if you just want to put it in geographical <laughs> uh, areas, Africa, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're Middle Eastern, is Africa. It, so it, I know some it, people think it's another destination, but on the map, it's the Africa, same place. Right? And you're referring this, to this I, category of Middle East and North Africa that a lot of Arabs say they want to be part of, which means they want to be part of it. They need to be part of the African-American community and a partner in the things that you're doing. Cyril, I listen, I we got to bring you back on. This topic is not talked about as often as it should be. I think it should be because when you look around the country at where Arab Americans are elected, a lot of times they're elected in black areas. Blacks come out to vote and support Arab Americans. And I think the question that you think needs to be addressed, and I know you're being very polite and diplomatic. You're being a good person. You don't want to over-criticize, but you are saying that more needs to be done to bring Arab Americans into working cooperatively with African Americans. Yes. I Ray, you know, I guess we can end on this. I I've said this, you are one you are one of the few, you're one of the few people let let known media voices that, that actually address real topics. I'm not the social media and council culture stuff, but this is a very this is a very serious and real topic. You know, when I look back and 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 when you look at this country, black folk built this country. You know, and to think that our communities don't work together more, then you're dealing with the idea of systemic racism, right? Yeah. Thinking that you, somehow your community is going to jump the black community. Our community has never thought about ourselves as being first, second, third, or whatever, right? We're just inclusive and and it's proven. It's not nothing I'm making up. It's just proven. We if we would just learn to work together and really believe in what we worship, which is God, we would a lot of this stuff would not be an issue. These issues that we deal with are all man-made. These are not God-made issues. These are man-made issues. Or you can't you can't work with the black people. That sounds crazy. Or hey, you can't talk to to her because you know she's wearing IG. That sounds stupid, right? Or you guys can't possibly worship together. That's wrong. That is not even accurate, even through both Bibles, the Quran or the Bible, right? Is you, you, you we we allow man-made ideologies to control a narrative that's very dangerous. It's very dangerous because what happens is we we push that down on children. And then children, what do they do? They grow up and they start thinking and like, well, we can't trust them, we can't work with them. And I just think that's impossibly like this incredibly um irresponsible. My guest, State Representative Cyril Nichols, representing the 32nd District in the state of Illinois, a district that includes Chicago all the way west into the southwest suburbs. Probably about a third of the district is Arab American, a large African-American population. And uh, my guest, uh, Representative Nichols, wants to bring those communities together to be more effective than they have been. Cyril, thank you so much for joining us on radio today. Anytime, Ray, anytime. But let's look forward to that town hall. And I want you to cover it. Matter of fact, I want you to moderate it. Um, 
and we'll and we're that. gonna have the topics together before we get there. So everybody will be abreast because we want to put legislation together. And now that I think about it, Ray, let's focus on mental health. Let's make that the topic for this first town hall. Okay? To help both communities. All right. That's right. All right, All right. everybody. Thank you, Cyril. And everybody, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be up with our next guest. I'm Ray Hanania. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key, are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F, or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. Life for Relief and Development has now been rated as one of the best charities for humanitarian aid. Life's humanitarian projects span the globe, and Life is celebrating its 30th anniversary of providing essential life-saving aid to people and communities in 36 countries, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. Where there is life, there is hope. And when disaster occurs here or around the world, including being one of the first responders to the Turkey-Syria earthquake crisis, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. We are looking to help the earthquake victims, and we take 0% overhead on emergency donations. So please help improve these efforts. Learn more about our involvement to help the helpless and bring hope where it's needed most. And make your tax-deductible donation to Life for Relief and Development now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. That's 248-424-7493. And welcome back, everybody, to our uh, radio show today. Uh, I have a great guest. He's an author, Ramsey Hanhan, uh, who has written a book called Fugitive Dreams, a slightly fictionalized literary memoir that illustrates a sweeping 50 years of life under the occupation uh, through personal stories. He was born in Palestine on what he says is the wrong side of the border. Samir finds his way to America, uh, the character in the novel, to rebuild his life. His immigrant experience in the post-91 America is laced to the ongoing conflict at home with the common threads of school shootings, police violence, human rights abuses, activism, and walls. For the sake of his daughter, he decides he has to do something. Ramsey, thank you so much for joining us here on uh, uh, the Arab uh, radio show, the Ray Hanania radio show. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Uh, I appreciate the invitation. Before we talk about your book, Fugitive Dreams, which just came out, didn't it, this past uh, year, correct? Yeah, October. In October. And uh, tell us a little bit about your bio, who you are. Why is this your first book? Have you been a writer? What's your profession? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you've been doing. 
Um, okay, I uh, was a scientist for about 27 years before deciding to write this story. And uh, the idea for this book goes back a long way uh, to when I first came to the USA. That was 1989. I was 16 years old. And I grew up in the West Bank in Palestine under occupation. And um, we had something called the First Intifada. It was an uprising against Israeli rule. And I, I witnessed two years of that, but the schools were closed for most of the time. And my parents got worried that I'm losing my education and wanted to send me to the States. And so somehow I made it here. And I, you know, there was a lot of culture shock, of course, um, coming to a different country. Uh, but um, you know, it, it helped a little bit that I went to an American school over there, a friend's school in Ramallah. And so I write about that aspect. But the thing that struck me most is the complete uh, disinformation here about what's going on in Palestine and between Palestine and Israel. Americans, especially at that time in 1989, where I found them very uh, misinformed about what's going on. And so I saw a crucial need for a book like this um, when I found like when most of the Palestinian spokespeople, the commentators, they talk as if their audience knows exactly what's going on over there. And there needed to be something that explains the elementary um, concept of what is an occupation, because Americans, when they think occupation, you know, before Iraq, they would think about the occupation of Germany, which to them was a good thing that helped Europe and helped peace in the world. Um, what's going on in Palestine is a completely different type of, it, it's, it's colonization, that occupation has been going on for 56 years. So someone my age would have spent his whole life under occupation over there. And, and you, no know what, you know you know what's interesting is that even the, the diaspora, people like myself who were born in the U.S., we kind of live in that occupation too, because you are absolutely right. Um, you know, Arabs are very smart. You're a scientist. I, you know, my relatives are doctors and engineers, big business people. And yet somehow we've been in this country almost 200 years and we have never gotten Americans to understand our story the correct way. Why, why is that? What, what, why haven't we been able to convince Americans to understand this basic human uh, tale of suffering and moral rights and uh we're Christian and Muslim. We identify more sometimes with Americans than a lot of the Israelis. You know, wh why haven't we been able to te educate them on the basics? Why do you think? I, I I really don't know about, you know, what happened before my time, but I can tell you my journey. It, it took like 20 years for this book to form. You know, I was taking diaries. I could write chapters whenever I could. And so by the beginning of 2020, what I had was a memoir, a story about my life and myself. And I thought, well, I'm not really that famous outside of the field of science where I was active. So not too many people would be interested in my life. How do I make that more general? How do I make that more basic? And I went through massive, I spent two years editing it 
to turn it into the book that it is. It's more, it reads more like a fictional story. And the idea is to give the characters a human face, talk about them as human beings, what their aspirations are, what they like to do, what games the kids play. Um, the first half is almost completely from a child's point of view. Um, how a child explores and experiences the world around him and how he sees injustice and what he thinks about it. And I, I think that's a story that often gets lost. Yeah, and I think you touched on a very important thing that uh, uh, we need to tell our story in a way that Americans are going to be interested to read it. Because uh, when, you know, a lot of Arabs don't like the word fiction because to them fiction means untrue. But fiction is a way to elevate issues. Fiction is a way to bring out the beauty, the truth of an issue. And I'll give you a good example, right? Leon Uris, hired by the government of Israel. They hired a PR person to find an author who would write the book Exodus, who would tell Israel's story, purely fiction. The entire book is made up fiction with some facts, but it makes us look so bad and makes the Israelis and the Jewish people look so good. That book in 1959 became a big movie and changed the way Americans looked at the Middle East forever. We have not done that. And I would say only in the last few years, maybe the last decade, we've seen authors like you and a few others who have written books that were intended to touch the hearts of the American people to get them to sympathize with a sympathetic cause? Well, um, just to clarify, I tried my best being a scientist uh, to preserve the truth as much as I can in the book. So I didn't really falsify events or anything. I just, it's the way you present it, the, the human aspect. Um, I had an American friend read, read it and he said, what touches me is that your characters are relatable. I, your friends, in Palestine could have been my friends. And I think that's the important thing that people miss because when you turn on the TV and you see Palestinians, usually it's uh, someone who's masked or someone carrying a gun. Um, the word militants often follows the headline. So we're um, people who, you know, millions of people who do all kinds of things, who are in all walks of life. And we need to illustrate that. And it has to be a good book. It has to be a compelling story. Fiction doesn't mean lie. Fiction doesn't mean that it's untrue. Fiction means that you take parts of reality and put it into a story. may not have been directly your story, but your story becomes a foundation for the story that represents, your character represents Palestinians, you know, exactly. and that's the truth. So in a way, you know, we always misunderstand the word fiction in the Arab community. Every writer I've known years ago, even Edward Said, they were so good at telling our story as if they were talking to professors and classes like a dissertation. But nobody was reading any of those books when they go on vacation on a beach, you know, in Punta Cana or Mexico or uh, the uh, uh, French Riviera. Those books were about the pro-Israel story. People were reading those books. They weren't reading our books. Your book, though, appeals to people, which is one reason why I wanted you on the show. I was very moved by it. 
I thought it was well written and it tells a great story. And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about the book Fugitive Dreams. So what's what is it about for in a nutshell for people? So it follows the life of one individual born in Palestine shortly after the occupation in 1973. And he grows up there, experiences the first intifada, pretty much mirrors my life. And I tried to make him generic. He could be any Palestinian there. Um, he actually comes from a family that's uh, you know, somewhat better off than everyone else. He gets a good education, gets a PhD. But all those uh, privileges don't shield him from the experience of being Palestinian. Um, there's a certain unifying aspect of growing up in Palestine is you're treated the same way regardless of who you are. And uh, I then he comes to the US. So the second half, he's in, he's in America and he's trying to, you know, understand, find his place in the world. Is he Palestinian? Is he Arabic? Is he American? What's my identity? And in the background of this are events going on in Palestine. First, the peace process that then fails, that um, leads to more violence. And he's getting more and more depressed about the situation. Um, part three, he becomes a father. And the very act of being a father and thinking about his daughter's future and wh what kind of world is she going to inherit forces him to rethink things. So you could see his attitude, his um, ideas change over the course of the book as a result of growth and personal growth and also what's going on in the world. More experience. And, and I think a lot of readers can identify with that. A lot of people, whether it's a, a burden of Palestine that's on our backs, or whether it's an African-American who has a burden of what has happened to them over the centuries, or whether it's some European immigrant who comes here. Um, I think they all identify with wanting to succeed in this country and be part of it. And uh, to at the same time represent their heritage and their, their background. What is the word, uh, the title mean fugitive dreams? Is it about somebody running from something in their mind, what, what does Fugitive Dreams mean? Um, it took me, this is probably the 25th title that I picked for it. And, um, I liked it because it's it's very vague. Fugitive um, is related to the word refugee. And, and of right. course, Palestinians have, uh, my parents are refugees um, who came from Ramla and Yafo, it's now Tel Aviv. And um, so the dreams are refugees they're seeking shelter, but they're also running away. Or it could be, you know, I am the refugee and those are my dreams. So there's many different interpretations. And I liked it because it's um, a lot of people in Palestine have dreams that simply cannot be fulfilled. I talk about the character when he's young, he likes flying. He really loves it. He wants to build an airplane. He wants to become a pilot, but Palestine is not recognized as a country. It has no airline. He could not be a pilot. Um, 
So that's one of the things it, like um, there is the land of no, you can't. Whatever you want to get accomplished, it's dystopian. And I even have passages about that where he even wants to go watch a basketball game and he can't because the roads are closed and the other team cannot even come to Ramallah to play. And and doesn't that change, though, when he comes to the States? He sees a whole different world but uh, of freedom, but lack of understanding, right? He comes to America where he can say and be, he thinks he can be what he wants. Uh, but these are people that don't even know who he is or have his background and their and what they know about him is is wrong, correct? Yeah. But at some point it's up to him to to present himself to the world. And uh, that's something I discussed a lot in the last part of the book is victimhood and and the concept of abandoning our victimhood so that we can move forward with our lives. When you think of a reader reading the book, what is it that you hope that they get out of the book? And as I said, I thought it was a very easy read. Obviously, I'm Palestinian. I identify with it. But I think beyond that, that it's a good story. You know, it's a compelling story. It's not like being in a chemistry class where I'm reading a dissertation that's factual and footnoted and all these different facts get so burdensome you miss the point of the person whose life is being described in your book in in the course of two years of editing i cut down the size of the book by about 40 percent that had to be a political arguments i had you know details and like the reader is not going to care about this the reader is not going to care about that right my writing style, because I came from academia, writing academic papers was really highly academic. And I had to simplify it. I had to go sentence by sentence. And I think it still reads somewhat academically, but the main character is a professor uh, working at a university. So, you know, when he speaks or when he thinks, but there should be some remnant of that, but it's not predominant. Right. It was an easy read. I, I felt it was a good read. And uh, I think too often, sometimes as Palestinians and Arabs, we write for ourselves. We write what we want to hear rather than writing the story that the public wants to hear. What's the story that you want the public to get out of the book after they've re- read it? What is it that you want a regular American who may or may not know about us, what what do you hope that they get out of the book after they've read it? Um, I think the the most basic part of it is the story of a human who's caught in a very difficult situation. And the question is, how do you cope with it? There's this conflict going on around you and you're just trying to have a normal life and live and raise a family and, and grow up and so on. And you can't shut that conflict off, no matter how much you'd like to. There's a passage here, a sentence. um, Even if I wanted to forget about the conflict, the conflict doesn't forget about me. Wow. And so how do you deal with that? And what kind of growth uh, will happen to you in the process? And I think that's a human story. It's universal. It it goes well beyond Palestine or USA or Israel. 
And, and I think you're right. That's that's how you have to write it. It has to be a story that goes beyond Palestine so that the readers are interested in it. When you first wrote the book, was it easy to find a publisher? Um, I actually was lucky. Um, I contacted this uh, author that I admired in Palestine, and I was hoping he could read the book, but he didn't have the time for it. But two weeks later, he forwards me this email from a publisher who is looking exactly for a book like this about Palestine. And um, maybe timing is everything. I finished the book in April 2021, and in May... Israel bombed Gaza, and that was a major news item, and I guess maybe that's what got him interested. Yeah, the conflict is in our face. I mean, uh, you know, as much as uh, Americans don't seem to understand us, the fact is they're paying for everything. This is a major part of their politics. Um, Much more is spent on the Arab-Israeli conflict than on health care sometimes in this country. You know, the debate, the politicians. Um, so I think it touches on a good thing. I think you lucked out. Usually when I talk to uh, writers, they tell me how difficult it is to get the American publishing industry to embrace their topics. But it sounds like was yours an American publisher or uh, American based or was it a European based or Middle East based? Yeah, publisher? he's a publisher from Vermont. So he is American, an American yeah, publisher. American. What's the name of the company? And he's an he's an activist. He's done activism for Palestine for many years. So, so he, that's he kind understand. of encouraged me to like you know go for for that publisher. What, what's the name of his company? So we get listeners who are it's, everybody it's has a story. Press. What is it? All Might Press. This is their logo. Good. Okay. And uh, Ramsey, how can people get a copy? What's the be- easiest way to get a copy of the book? Um, it's available. Um, bookstores will have to order it for you sure. uh, if you have a favorite local store, or you can go to Amazon. Um, there's also, if you're in D.C., I think they also ship all over the U.S. is Middle East Books and More. And and you were in Washington at the, uh, what's that one uh, coffee shop? Uh, I've been to Poets and, uh, what is Bus it? Busboys and Poets. Busboys yeah. and Poets. I know the owner is a nice guy. Uh, he's always good about uh, showcasing authors and writers. Was the audience mostly Arab or mostly American that came to listen when you spoke to them? Um, in Mostly American, actually. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That means that you're achieving something. Yeah, and, and that's really my goal. Uh, you know, there's so many different conflicts going on around the world. You hear about Niger, you hear about Sudan. Ukraine and people are going through that everywhere. And, and do you have do you have a website um, where people can go to get more information on you and your book? Uh, yes, you could go to fugitive dreams one word dot us. Fugitive dreams dot us. That's the place to go. My guest is Ramsey Hanhan. And did I get that? Did I pronounce it properly, Hanhan? I'm a Hanania, so I'm pretty close to you. So, yeah, very close. Ramsey Hanhan. starts with R-A, too, for the first names. <laughs> and uh, his book is called Fugitive Dreams, uh, slightly fiction, but based on reality. It's a, And I read it. It's a compelling story that I hope everybody takes the time to read. So if you go to the website, fugitivedreams.us, 
U.S., correct? Yes. Thank All you, right. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us, Ramsey. We really appreciate it. I enjoyed the interview. Me too. Thanks. All right. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Are you going to start a restaurant or a grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Naji Aboud at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Naji Aboud now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design, the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design, new location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Naji Aboud, 734-744-9796. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted, and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Ziad Brand. Quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. You've been listening to the Ray Hanania Radio Show brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News, Season 3, Episode 12, August 2nd, 2023. You can listen to this podcast and all of our past radio shows on podcast by visiting Arab News Newspaper, the voice of a changing region at ArabNews.com. There are so many great podcasts you should check out, including The Mayman Show with host Hussein Al Mayman, and frankly speaking, with host Katie Jensen. You should check them all out. They're great podcasts. And you can get more information on Arab American journalism by visiting www.naaja-us.com and on Ray Hanania, myself, by visiting my personal website hub at hanania.com. 
I look forward to joining you next week. We have more interviews and great guests here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show on the U.S. Arab Radio Network at ArabRadio.us, sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region at ArabNews.com. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.